Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Welcome to Delivering the Gospel, Transforming Lives with Bill Neenhouse, President of Child Care Worldwide, a child sponsorship ministry transforming children's lives by exposing them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's join Bill now as he opens us up with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for creating this world in which we live. Thank you for specifically designing and organizing the earth and the universe to work in a very precise way. We know you did this because you love us so much. Father, open our hearts and minds as we continue to look at the book of Genesis today. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hi, I'm Bill Neenhouse, and welcome to Delivering the Gospel, Transforming Lives. I'm really glad you could join me today. This program is brought to you by Child Care Worldwide, a child sponsorship ministry that's passionate about delivering the gospel to children all over the world. We provide a unique one-to-one relationship between sponsors and children. Child Care Worldwide removes obstacles that stand in the way of kids hearing the call of Jesus. I just love studying the book of Genesis. Reading about all the details of how God created this world is just fascinating. And what really makes me stand in awe of God is that he created it all for us. The entire world was created to sustain everyone for hundreds and thousands of years until Jesus returns. That's how much God loves and cares for us. We're doing a series on Genesis, and I pray that you'll be blessed and that you have already learned a little thing or two about studying the first book of the Bible. My wife has said the same thing I've said. Each time I study Genesis, I learn something brand new. Isn't that true for you? I know the creation story. I've read it. I've studied it. But each time I go back to the Lord, it allows me to see something brand new. And I'm so humbled and thankful for that. We have a lot to cover today. But first, let's review where we've been. Even if you've been studying with me for the past few weeks, it's always good to be refreshed. We, of course, started in Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Let me ask you something. Would you be able to make something that was absolutely extraordinary, lasting hundreds of thousands of years? Would you be able to make it without a blueprint, without instructions, without a manual? Well, that's exactly what God did when he made our world. And don't forget, he was there before anything else was in existence. The next thing we talked about was the fact that God wasn't alone when he created this world. John 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word, and he was with God in the beginning. Listen to John 1 verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word is a direct reference to Jesus. Jesus came to earth, and he was born into the human world. Therefore, we know that when John says in the beginning was the word, he's talking about Jesus. I also talked about the fact that it's good to remember the Bible is one continuous story of creation and redemption. There are so many references to creation all throughout the Bible. Remember last time we talked about Isaiah 45, verse 18? 
It says, For this is what the Lord says, He who created the heavens, He is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, He founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. This is evidence that God did indeed create the world. If there's any doubt, then let's listen to this verse found in Revelation 4 verse 11. You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. This is a reference to the 24 elders who laid down their crowns before the throne, giving thanks to God for creating the world. I could go on and on and on with more examples, but I think you get the idea. We also covered the verses that talked about God actually creating, organizing, and building the world for us. Briefly, here they are. Day 1. God made light, separated light from dark, named them day and night. Day 2. God made the sky that separated the waters above and the waters below, and named the sky heaven. Day 3. God gathered the waters into one place, dry ground appeared, and then he named the waters seas and the dry ground land. God told seed-bearing plants and trees to sprout. On day four, the sun, the moon, and the stars made their very first appearance in the skies. And on day five, the creatures of the sea and the creatures of the air were created. And that brings us to day six. This is the day that God told the land to produce living creatures. But it was the peak of God's creation when he created man. The creatures from the land came in three different categories. Livestock, ground creatures, and wild animals. They all filled the earth. Something to take notice of, though, is how God organized the animals. He created them according to their own kind. How could exploding molecules make so many different animals, and how could they categorize anything? There's no way this organization in detail could have been provided by an explosion. What happens when something explodes? Does the explosion provide organization and order? No. An explosion causes chaos. Another thing we covered last week was the creation of man. And we briefly mentioned that in Hebrew, the word man means mankind, which includes both men and women. God gave the distinction of being made in God's image only to man. No other animal or plant has this quality. Genesis 1 verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Being created in the image of God means we possess reasoning, wisdom, and love, just to name a few things. Nothing else that God created has these attributes. We are representatives of God here on earth. We are image bearers. As God's image bearers, we were immediately given a job. We were to be responsible and be stewards over everything that God had made. We were also given a blessing, and it was to procreate, fill and subdue the earth. You can say we knew our boundaries. We were given all the seed-bearing plants and trees as food. We were responsible for the creatures on earth, and we were to fill and subdue the earth. The last thing we talked about was the fact that God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh day, which reminded us of the fourth commandment. In Exodus 20 verse 11 it says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. What is childcare worldwide? Well, it's a Christian ministry dedicated to sharing the gospel with children in need. 
Childcare Worldwide goes beyond just basic needs and education by introducing children to the transformative love of Jesus. We work closely with local churches to disciple each child well, helping them grow in their faith and helping them find hope, not only for today, but for eternity too. Learn how you can help at childcareworldwide.org. If you're just joining me, I'm Bill Neenhouse, and this is Delivering the Gospel, Transforming Lives. We've been doing a series on the book of Genesis, and I've been giving a review of where we've been the last couple of weeks. Let's get started with today's study. Turn with me to Genesis 2, verse 4, where it says, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. It seems there has been some confusion as to what chapter 2 is all about, but it's really fitting into the chronological order of the six days of creation. Let's start unpacking this. These facts in chapter 2 are actually the details from chapter 1. There is nothing different than chapter 1, but chapter 2 goes into all the details that weren't given in chapter 1. So it's here that we get to discover details of the Garden of Eden, the four rivers, and how God made woman but the main focus is on God's relationship to Adam and Eve. We'll read about how they were specifically created, and we're shown all of the provisions they have in the garden, which only shows the special attention and deep love that God had for them and us. These details are so incredibly rich. The first thing I noticed in verse 4 is God's name. In all of chapter 1, when God was speaking, or there was a reference to Him, the name used was always God, nothing more nothing less. God was the name used. But that name changes in verse 4. Let me read part of verse 4 one more time. When the Lord God made the earth and heavens. This is the very first time in the Bible where God is referred to as Lord God. Why? In this verse, God is translated as Elohim, and Lord is translated Yahweh. His name is Yahweh Elohim, or Lord God. Elohim is the name that describes God as the powerful and majestic creator. Yahweh is God's personal name and lets us know he has a personal relationship and is involved with his people. Yahweh Elohim is the personal sovereign name of God. Genesis 2 verse 5 through 6 says, And no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on earth, and there was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Picture the scene on earth. There wasn't any vegetation. The seed-bearing plants and trees had not been spoken into existence yet, and man was not there to tend the earth. It was barren. At this point, God hadn't even made it rain on the earth yet. But God had a plan. He made streams come up from the earth to water the ground. He did that so the ground wouldn't be dry. Let's continue. Genesis 2 verse 7 says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. This is the culmination of God's creation right here. This is man being made, formed by the dust of the ground which God also made. The word formed in Hebrew is yatsar, and it means to create or fashion, like a potter shapes a clay vessel. Man was made by God, and God planned to make that man from the dirt. Turn with me to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 15.47 says, The first man was of the dust of the earth, 
Even Paul, who wrote 1 Corinthians around AD 50, knew that Adam was created from the dust of the earth. The next part of the verse is fascinating. God created Adam from the dirt, but he wasn't alive yet, not until God breathed into Adam's nostrils. God gave Adam his very own breath. Considering the fact that we're created as image bearers of God, it's astounding to know that the very first image bearer received in him the actual breath of God. What an almighty God we serve. This breath signifies life, and the absence of it signifies death. Let's turn to another verse that talks about the breath of life. Job 33 verse 4 says, The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. This was said by one of Job's friends, and he is acknowledging that God has made him and the breath of God has given him life. He knows he wouldn't be alive if it weren't for God. Isaiah 42 verse 5 says, This is what God the Lord says, He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to his people and life to those who walk on it. This verse acknowledges that God really did create the heavens and the earth and gives life to people. He's the creator and the sustainer of life. And this leads us back to Genesis and God breathing life into Adam. As soon as God took his own breath and breathed it into Adam, this signified the beginning of human life as we know it. Without God, there is no life. With the creation of life, God also sustains this life. Genesis 2 verse 8 and 9 says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Not only did God create man, but he put him in the middle of this wonderfully lush garden that would sustain him. Have you ever thought about this? God created Adam, a grown adult, so Adam would need food to sustain himself. God then created all kinds of trees that were good for food. You know, the point is, the trees God created were full-grown, mature trees. Otherwise, how could Adam be sustained? God didn't leave Adam in the garden with a little sapling tree. He provided him with a variety of grown trees, mature grown trees. God thought of everything when he created Adam. The Garden of Eden was a sanctuary. God was providing Adam with a serene, beautiful place to live. But we also know that God met Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam must have felt that bond, that fellowship with his creator, which would have made his subsequent sin all that more painful. But before we talk about Adam's sin, let's find out what was in the rest of the garden. Genesis 2 verse 9 says, In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God placed both the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden. At this point, we're only discussing what was in the garden. God hasn't yet spoken to Adam and given him the directive to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For now, we know that two trees are in the middle of the garden. The garden was watered by a river that flowed through Eden. Genesis 2 verses 10 through 14 says, A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are there. The name of the second river is the Gion. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. 
The exact location of the Garden of Eden still can't be agreed upon, even though there are detailed descriptions of the rivers that surrounded Mesopotamia. Scholars don't know where the Pishon or Gihon rivers are today, or if they are known by any other name. But because the Tigris River and the Euphrates River are mentioned, we can conclude the area might have been near Mesopotamia. We also know the lands surrounding the rivers had an abundance of natural minerals like gold and onyx. That area must have been stunning. When you hear about the water and the rivers, do you think about the living water? I know I do. Revelation 22 verse 1 says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. Of course, this is an angel showing John the vision of the river of the water of life, and this water of life is coming from the throne of God. This description is just as beautiful as the description of the water flowing from the Garden of Eden. Child Care Worldwide delivers the gospel of Jesus Christ to thousands of kids in underdeveloped countries, providing for their physical needs and sponsoring their education. Long-term transformation is what makes Child Care Worldwide unique. Sponsored children are a member of a life center located at a local church and meet weekly for gospel-driven Bible lessons, scripture memorization, singing, and fellowship. The curriculum teaches children about God and His eternal plan for them. Visit childcareworldwide.org. If you're just now tuning in to Delivering the Gospel, Transforming Lives, thanks for joining me. I'm Bill Neenhouse, and we're studying Genesis today. We've just finished reading the description of the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2, and I was talking about how beautiful that must have been. Let me ask you, what is the most beautiful landscape you've ever seen? Is it your favorite beach scenery? Maybe the most beautiful landscape you've ever seen has been a view of the mountains, the snow-capped mountains, or maybe colorful mountains of Arizona. Think about this. Your favorite landscape in mine pales in comparison to the Garden of Eden, the river watering the garden, the four headwaters, and the surrounding scenery. I can't even imagine a landscape as beautiful as that, can you? God has created this amazing garden for Adam. But what happens next? Genesis 2 verses 15 through 17 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. What did God do next? He put Adam to work. God created Adam, created the garden, and then put Adam into the garden to work it and take care of it. The work came before the fall, so the work Adam had to do wasn't a punishment for anything. It was one of Adam's roles that he had to fulfill. Basically, Adam had a job to do. God didn't create him to let him sit around. Adam was obviously put into the role of leader. He was responsible to care for the creatures, tend the garden, and he was responsible for his wife Eve. In verses 16 and 17, God actually commands Adam to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or else he would die. But what did God actually say first? What command did he give first? You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Remember, God was telling Adam that he could eat from any tree he wanted, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam could have chose to eat from any one of the other varieties of trees in the Garden of Eden. There was only one tree he couldn't eat from, 
And how could he ignore this tree? It was in the middle of the garden, right next to the tree of life. God set Adam and Eve in the garden to be servants and live in fellowship with him. But he also gave them a warning of death if they didn't obey his commandment. We see this language in Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 and 16. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. Here, Moses is talking to the Israelites about working, because that's part of God's commandments to Adam before the fall, and also to obey God's commandments so they can be blessed. God had a precise plan for his people, one that wouldn't be sidetracked by any circumstance. Let's read about what God did next for Adam. In Genesis 2, verse 18 through 20, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the bird of the air, and the beast of the field. God had made a beautifully lush garden, complete with a river watering it. The garden was made to sustain Adam, but God also knew that it wasn't good for Adam to live by himself. He needed a helper. He needed a wife, and he was going to make a helper for Adam. God created man to have fellowship with him, but also to have relationships with other people as well. This would be the very first marriage on earth. There isn't a hierarchy or ranking between man and wife, as some people have suggested. The woman is not inferior, and the man is not superior. That's not the case at all. Instead, marriage is a unit that consists of a man and a woman in a mutually dependent relationship. Each relies on and helps the other. Each is always striving to help and bring about the best in the other. Each is always lifting up the other and loving without presuppositions. That's what marriage is. But the very next thing God does is address the creatures. He made all of them and he brought them to Adam so that he could name them all. What an intense job that must have been. Can you imagine having every single creature come before you and then having the responsibility of naming them? I think I'd run out of names before I got to the end of the line. But Adam succeeded in giving every single creature a name. Let's get back to the suitable helper for Adam. Genesis 2, 20-22 says, But for Adam no suitable helper was found, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. That's how God made woman. The woman was made from the rib of the man, and this shows the close connection between the two. I love this fact that God made Eve and then brought her to Adam. Let's look at Adam's response to Eve. Genesis 2 verses 23 through 25 says, The man says, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his woman were both naked, and they felt no shame. Adam knew that Eve was taken from one of his ribs. He acknowledged she was actually part of his flesh. 
This close intimate relationship is reserved for marriage only because it is the very next sentence that we are told that man is supposed to leave his mother and father to be united with his wife so they can become one flesh. This marriage relationship is the only one God arranged with these specific characteristics. No other relationship is built in this way, and it was God-ordained. Marriage is between a man and a woman who come together in loving intimacy, and it's a beautiful design from our Creator God. This is all the time we have for today. Next week, we'll move on to Chapter 3 and talk about that crafty serpent, or Satan as we know him. So don't miss it. I'm Bill Neenhouse. Join me next Sunday morning for Delivering the Gospel, Transforming Lives. We'll talk again next week. You've been listening to Delivering the Gospel, Transforming Lives with Bill Neenhouse, President of Child Care Worldwide. To learn more, go to childcareworldwide.org. Join us again next week here on 820 AM, The Word.